how's it going? Hey, world. It's us again. Happy 16. Happy episode 16. You know, you don't have to tell them every time what episode number it is, Hunter. I want them to know. I want them to feel like, you know, I know how to count, and I'm <laughs> counting along with them. That's good. That's super reassuring. If our audience didn't know by now that you knew how to count, I think all of the premises that we've outlined in the show thus far would be highly suspect. The next show will be episode 20. <laughs> Perfect. That's fantastic. Yep. Well, we have a super interesting episode today, one that we've been waiting to bring you guys for quite some time. Couldn't be more pumped. Uh, I'm not going to... I'll call it a debate, but it's not going to be a argument. I Dialectic. Think, I don't know that word, which surprises the pants off me. I know. It's a good word, right? It means like to be having a... It's like trying... It's like coming from two opposite points to end at a common midpoint. I love that, honey. Yeah. What a beautiful word you've come up with. <laughs> um, so we'll get started. We'll get started here. Uh, suffice to say, we have a very special guest in the car with us today. It is our buddy... James, James Nally, at James Nally on Twitter, uh, so don't forget to follow him, but we, uh, just to give a little background, and then uh, we'll bring him in, but bring him in the car, like he's not sitting here listening to everything <laughs> I say, um, but we, he listened to the episode about truth with uh, with Second Lieutenant Ben Polk, Benjamin Polk, and uh, he had some awesome points to bring up. He disagrees with us on a lot, and actually that's a wonderful thing. So I'll, I'll just let you finish your introduction yourself, but thank you for being on the show, James Nally. Hey, thank you, Chris. Uh, yeah, so I have, I've known Chris and Hunter for a while. You know, we had gone to high school together, so uh, definitely great guys. And I would seen the podcast on Twitter, so I started listening to it. And um, really liked the premise of the show, just talking about uh, you know, truth and philosophy, religion, these are all subjects that I'm very interested in and I had listened to, but but at the same time, as Chris had said, uh, we come from kind of opposite ends of the spectrum when we're talking about those kind of things. And so I thought it was pretty interesting. I'd reached out to Chris after listening to the episode on um, the cave and the truth. Yep. And... <clears throat> Uh, you know, kind of reached out to him, uh, got a little bit of a conversation going from some opposing viewpoints, and then they told me, hey, come on the show. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Here I am. And this is exactly the direction we want things to go, right? Like, we couldn't be more thrilled to have someone that disagrees with us on some fundamental issues on the show so we can discuss them. Uh, we were kind of, we we're kind of shooting the, the bull before the show. And one of the things that, that we kind of all agreed on while we were talking is that, you know, people that believe in their viewpoints, people that, that hold them earnestly are people that are willing to have a civil discussion about them. Right. Because the people that don't want you to discuss your viewpoint are the people that are afraid that you'll change their mind. And they care more about their ideology than the truth. So I just want to put a bumper on this whole episode and say, left, right, wherever you land, center, listen up. Because there's a better way to disagree, and there's a better way to have these discussions. The topics matter. These are important things to discuss, especially now. And the the idea that you can just throw some vitriol, throw some hate, throw some violence on uh, Twitter or Facebook is not the way. You know, James reached out to us right in the middle of us, you know, kind of receiving the show's first death threats online and our first uh, violent kind of hateful comments. And yeah. that was that was a whole thing. So actually, I'll kick it over to James for just a second. James, uh, first off, can you just tell people, you know, like 
in where you come down different than us because I don't want people conflating our views for yours and mischaracterizing that way. And then second, when we kind of talked about the the heat of the show when we first started our discussion and when you first reached out, uh, kind of your response. I just want everyone to kind of know you and know where you're coming from. Totally, definitely so. So um, I'm definitely more on a liberal slant, uh, kind of approach things from a secular viewpoint. I, I would personally identify as an atheist, which I know is kind of in contrast uh, to what Chris <laughs> and Hunter yeah. um Different, different camps, some would say. Yeah, just kind of a different camp. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, I mean, regardless of what I believe and why, I, I, a value that I hold that I, I think even weighs more above all that is just about having genuine discussion with people that you disagree with. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like... Yeah, having di- genuine discussion with people you disagree with. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think the thing that is like I, that I just kind of like I love the contrast between like I you know I I'm a pretty I'm not on social media that well like let's be honest like it's not my strong suit but you know the show picked up steam and like very quickly people were saying some horrible things about us right. or like clearly they didn't engage with us clearly they don't know anything about us sure. and I thought the thing that was just so awesome was the fact that James first reaction instead of like sending us responding to something we did and like posting on the show was like to just like hey guys here's an email and here are the like the points I disagree with you on and it's like it's exactly what you're just talking yeah. about James and it's even, more important to have that conversation than it is maybe to even stick to your own I feel Guns. like I feel like you know if somebody is so short-sighted to um, resort to death threats, yeah. or to just kind of completely avoid having a genuine conversation with someone, like it's falling into that or being uh, like succumbing to that pressure mm. and stopping what you're doing is perpetuating that terrible system. You know, if everybody's on the same side, we're all looking for truth. And it's kind of like, uh, like, that's okay if people have different opinions, no matter how strongly you, you have those, the better way to approach it is to just talk to people about it. And I genuinely believe that, well, like for me, I love having these kind of conversations with people. I love talking to people that I disagree with and kind of hashing it out. And I... I think it does a few things right so one it makes me feel like i have to be on top of my shit right yes, you have to be able absolutely. to outline exactly what it is you think because someone's going to push you on it and like say that can't be right you know right mm-hmm. so you get in this practice of being able to like defend what you stand for and it's a really strong encouragement to do that and i think that's great from a personal growth perspective yeah it also um increases your empathy because sure you can kind of see more how other people are structuring their arguments, how they're seeing the world and how they're coming to the conclusions that they're coming to. Love it. You know, I think very, very strongly that like people don't mean well. And uh, that may be naive. I mean, sure, there are bad people out there, but for the most part, people are just doing their thing and they're going about life and, They want what they want. They want what they want and talking about contentious issues is going to be 
a much better way of understanding where other people are coming from than just kind of, you know, random small talk, right? It's yeah. just an increasing empathy thing, and I think that's one of the most important things we can promote yeah. in our society. Absolutely. And so that's, that's what's wonderful, is because we probably don't see eye to eye on a vast majority of issues. Like, we could bring up every little minute political point that's been salient in the past couple of months, and we would probably have different analysis. But here's the thing, from, from uh, James' first email, he said, you know, I love the message of the show. I love what you guys are trying to do. You're seeking the truth, and I think that you're seeking it earnestly, and I'm doing the same thing, and that's why we got into this whole discussion. And, and what you said, James, was perfect. It increases your empathy. Yeah. The way I put it sometimes is that it, al so. it allows you to ex suspect the best of the people that you're disagreeing with. And that's the truth. To, to put a finer point on it, we kind of talked about this at our little pre-show meeting, but but if, on, if you're on the right, which is probably the majority of our audience, and you think that there's a person on the left that wants to kill babies, that just loves killing babies, first of all, you're right in about like 1% of the cases. Prob <laughs> probably less. You freaked me out, Chris. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? But that's not that's not true. There's right. not a bunch of people that are actively that just get their rocks off by the idea of killing a baby. There's a lot of people who are misinformed. There's a lot of people who are uh, more more attuned to look after a woman's rights and disagree with the science and we can disagree about the facts all day and, and, and what the facts mean. I should say we shouldn't disagree about the facts. The facts are the facts. We should disagree about our analysis of the facts all day. Right. But if you if you just suspect that the other person is evil, then you can't have a conversation anymore. You shut that down. And that's exactly, in my opinion, um, not uh, I'm using a specific flavor of identity politics here, but that's exactly where identity politics has getting, gotten us, specifically the version of it where it's like, if you disagree with my prescriptions for the fix for this issue, then you're a racist. And you're not contending with the ideas I'm bringing up. You're contending with some exterior point that that sands off all the edges of any conversation or argument that could be possible. Uh, by the same token, if you're on the left and you're listening and you think that the only reason that a conservative can cares about abortion at all is because we want to control women's bodies and we get, you know, our jollies from from invading a uterus and tell and dictating what it can do, you're wrong, you know? We have to expect that the that the other person is being honest with us, being upfront with us, and wants the best for the world and wants the best for the people around them. And if we come at it from that angle, we're fellow travelers, even if we disagree on incredibly important fundamental issues. So I think, uh, yeah, go ahead, that, You know, I, um, it, it kind of boils down to a like, straw man argument. Sure. You know, right, yeah. Putting up straw men and then knocking them down and then reinforcing that group thing. In, and it, it's actually kind of funny because as much as you and I disagree on pretty much everything that it would be reasonable to disagree about <laughs> or unreasonable in some cases right <laughs> in my opinion right but uh but like as much as we disagree on a lot of things uh it's it's good that we agree on that right you know right because if and this was the other thing i wanted to add because like if i have a conversation with you and you say something that is so convincing that I hadn't thought about before as much as I have, you know, read and, you know, dove deep into my 
my ideas and convictions, whatever, then you're doing me a favor. Mm. Right. You that's know? that's the difference. And I that's thank you. that's yeah. aiming for ideology versus aiming for truth, right? And right. that's that's such a key difference. And you know, the the wonderful thing about this is like even if you and I disagree about everything, you know that my goals are at least noble and I believe that you're goals are at least noble and so we we can go out and you know have a beer and be friends and cut up and do all of those things and live in the world that we actually want to live in without all of the nastiness even if we disagree about fundamental issues so let's just put a bow on on the the preamble here but but yes the the point of the show, the point for having James on, I, I love his ideas on this. I love the his analysis of the uh, the more violent, extreme members of probably his um, uh, at least a cohort that he's more ideologically well, there, similar with. There's plenty of violent bad people on the other side too. Right, I was saying uh, in, in yeah. regards to the show when yes, I told him about sorry. that, I was like, hey, look, the show's getting death threats. The show's uh, the show's you know taking some heat specifically for some of these ideas. Right. His response was a great big middle finger. Yes, and, uh, and I was I love that right. I love that attitude to like well well of course of course it is because you're talking about like the truth and that's anyone who's not going to play that game and like anyone who's going to play that game you know is doing the wrong thing. Anyway, that's right. So it was cool. That's right. So that's that's why that's why he's a good friend of the show, and we're happy to have him on. All right, enough preamble. And uh, yeah, to all of you, uh, all of you social media keyboard warriors, this is the way to do it right. So start taking notes. Um, <laughs> all right, but let's set it up. So we're gonna have our first debate style. You know, it's gonna be a discussion. There's no gotcha journalism here. We're just gonna have an honest conversation and uh, disagree about some things. But I'll kind of set it up. First of all, Hunter is going to be playing the role of moderator just to keep things even, you know, one voice versus one voice yeah. for the most part. I don't, I, I, the last thing we want to do is have a culture on this show that is two people, two people ganging up on one person because that, that just feels nasty. So if we, if we get fortunate enough to have more conversations with James or have more conversations with other people, you know, we want this to be, we want, Christopher is definitely the the more debate of the two of us, if you will. And I want to, I want to try and like, not necessarily like score points, but kind of just, you know, keep the conversation on the rails, if that sort of makes sense. Just so it feels like uh, we're not, nobody's getting ganged up on, we're having a good discussion, if that sort of makes sense. That's right. And so... To that end, let's go ahead and jump into it. So we're going to go through some of the conversation that we went through in our in our email exchange back and forth, and uh, you know we've summarized some of those on the show before for uh, our most ardent listeners. And then we're going to kind of take it further and and maybe find some common ground, maybe find some fundamental disagreements, and uh, we'll go from there. So I'll bring up kind of where we left the last show right before you sent us an email in, and then we can kind of go through that interplay. James, how's that sound? Yeah, that sounds like a perfect place to start. Okay, so where we left the show with Ben, basically, is we were talking about, uh, of course, uh, Socrates and Plato's Republic and the allegory of the caves, and basically we got to this idea that there was the form of an object, that there is a specific archetypal important idealization of any given phenomena, of any given object, and there was, you know, the disparity between, you know, the word dog, the the object instantiation dog, and then the archetypal uh, form dog. And we kind of went through all of those different points. And then we we layered on top of that this idea of beauty, uh, because you know, it was it was Socrates who basically said, then there's the sun. But not only is the sun the thing that gives you 
the light by which to see other forms, but it's also there is a form sun being that which reveals truth, right? And so that is, that is you know, in a lot of ways, especially if you uh, juxtapose it to some ancient creation myths, uh, specifically the Illuminesh from Samaria, it's like the, it's like the archetypal god. It's like Marduk in its primordial form. If you, if you want to go back and listen to that episode, and you'll understand that argument better. But then we layered beauty on top of that and said, okay, if there's archetypal truth, there's archetypal good, then there's archetypal beauty. And we talked about different ideas uh, where you see objective instantiations of beauty in the world. So physics uh, is the base from which we extract mathematics and then these things like chord structures and songs or the uh, golden pyramid or Fibonacci sequences are these classic design elements, these classic uh, audio elements, and they perfectly replicate onto, onto physics through the extraction of math. So the kind of the question that we asked was, you know, what's your explanation for that? If your explanation for that is, it's just so, I don't find that perfectly sufficient. So we made the argument that there's archetypal beauty and we're in conversation, different objects are in conversation with this one perfect form of beauty and enter James's email. So. Uh, James, you want to kick it off there? Oh yeah, totally. Um, so I guess to start, <clears throat> I kind of disagree. I mean, obviously, <laughs> that's, the, that's the perfect like. <laughs> perfect. Okay, we're done. We'll just we'll uh, just done. do it there. That's, that's when Carl that's pulling. Sort of podcast, podcast. Yeah. Well, that's how you deal with this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Sorry, I loved it. But but like more specifically, what I disagree on, I guess, is how you define. Um, Maybe not how you define, maybe how, what you think is true about what is objective versus what is subjective. Sure. Yeah, and um, I guess a good place for me to kind of start is to lay out how I see these two things. And so, and uh, I guess define my terms. Yeah. So first we'll say objective, that word, means... If we were talking about an object, like qualities about an object that are objective, right? That would be qualities that that object possesses regardless of whether it's being experienced or not. Sure. Yeah. And uh, subjective would be qualities that the object possesses but only within the context of it being observed by an experiencer. You know, whether that's a human being or a dog or, you know, an alien Right. Some something else, just anything that can experience something. So if we take uh, color, for example, yeah, we look at a red wavelength of light. We see this quality, uh, this redness of it. Uh, the word is uh, a quale or qualia plural. It's like a facet of experience, and that is uh, what we see as red, red as it is experienced. Then you have the actual wavelength of light that 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 quality that you see in your experience correlates to is the wavelength and that's the objective component. So right. that um, So it's kind of like this argument where like my red might be your blue, but then all the things that you associate with blue are blue, so blue is hot to you if it's my red, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And right. in that case, you know, as long as we have a full range of color vision, right. you don't really have a disagreement on 
you know. Right. The wavelength is the same, and then the experience can be subjective. Yes, but I do wanna I do wanna specify that um, even if my red is your red is everybody's red, it's still subjective. Sure. So, okay. um, which I think sometimes uh, the reason I make that clarification is I feel like sometimes people think, you know, just use the word subjective to mean that it, oh it's just kind of like up to you, right? Right. Sure. That's not how I'm defining these words at all. Now, right, it may sure. mean that in some scenarios, uh, but. Not all, in my opinion. Like, we would take issue very often with the idea of subjective morality, which you might not, but that's sure. one of the ways where we're kind of shorthanding for you're saying what's good for me is good for me, and what's good for you is what's good for you. Yeah, definitely right. so in a way. So, um, well, to carry on before I get into morality, because I feel like that, that <laughs> might Let's come up. Let's keep it up. in colors, Christopher, for oh, just all a right, little bit. But that's a, can, that's a can of worms yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, that I hope we get to. But... Um, so I, I brought up the road sign, the uh, no parking sign. Yes. Which I, I think is a, a good example for... Okay, so right now I'm laying out three different types, as I see it, three different types of subjective truths. One is the red. We see as red still subjective, but it correlates directly to something that is objective. And there's really no ambiguity there. You know, you'd pretty much agree... Yeah. No matter who you ask with a full range of color vision, red is red, and we're using the same words to describe it. And we both agree on that. And we both agree on that. Right. I think that's true for everybody, yeah. Totally, totally. So for the no parking sign, it seems a little different than the red example, because it doesn't seem to me that there's anything objective about the sign itself that correlates to the truth that it means do not park here. So we've kind of, it's a symbol we just gave it this meaning and it seems pretty arbitrary to me like that symbol could have been anything else really and sure. it would still mean the same thing as long as we agree all agreed that that's the symbol we were using for that. It could have been an X, it could have been it could have said red, it doesn't matter whatever, right. whatever totally. would have correlated to that. Okay, Okay. and what's the third type then? And then the third type would be Something that's a little less arbitrary than the road sign, but not correlated to any objective quality, which I'm rephrasing a little bit since my email. Okay. So just just to clarify that. Keep us on our toes, James. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I don't. Uh, but it doesn't correspond to an objective quality in the object itself. The uh, object you're describing is beautiful. Instead. There are things in our biology that make us see the world in a certain way, right? So you guys referenced, say, the um, golden ratio, for example. Yep. Okay. I, I don't know a lot about the golden ratio, but let's just assume for a second that that's something that most people generally will agree that is, you know, aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, it's a, it's a very old standard for architecture, uh, visual art, composition, etc. Definitely so. And that that is because of something in our biology which does in fact create our subjective experience. But the fact that it's aesthetically pleasing is only aesthetically pleasing if you have a subjective observer there to experience it. Gotcha. So those are kind of the three types. It's less arbitrary than the sign. It's a little more grounded in something real like... Uh, the red, the quality of red, but it, it's 
I wouldn't say it's exactly sitting somewhere in the middle, but it's something along those lines. You, I think you guys are getting what I'm saying. Yeah, it's yeah. on that spectrum. Right. So yeah. let me start with the parking sign because uh, uh, much in your uh, same vein, I disagree. And <laughs> okay. I, I'll lay some of those reasons out. Um, you know, you say, uh, and don't let me mischaracterize you, but totally basically yeah. you're saying that the the markings on the actual sign are completely arbitrary. It's just our subjective and cultural experience that has taught us to identify that to mean no parking. Um, yeah, I okay. would say that's pretty accurate. Okay, see, this is this is where I have like kind of my first point of contention is that I don't think that it's entirely valid to consider the words on the no parking sign as as not rooted into some objective truth. And the reason I say that is because we often undermine the sheer importance of of language as it represents itself in our biology and in our and basically our the entire human narrative. Uh, language is one of the things primarily that separates us from chimpanzees. You know, chimpanzees can be taught some basic sign language. There's, uh, you know, certain certain breeds of and certain species that can uh, communicate with a limited set of grunts. But actually, language is something that's primarily directed towards humans. So when we say, you know, we see the individual as a, an incarnation of the divine, that the individual has this bit of divinity inside of him I think that language is a portion of that grander ideal and we see this replicated best through you know what the evolutionary biologists study for example uh, the brain plasticity in the the language controlling centers of the brain the cortex that governs language is incredibly incredibly adept and adapted to learning languages when a child is very young. You know, you lose a little bit of that plasticity as you grow older, but we are basically designed, if you believe it's via evolution or, or via other means, to learn a language. It's something primary. And if you believe that the individual is divine, then it links to that divinity. Uh, it's, one of the, it's one of the, I suppose, the evidences for a spirit. And we can get into that more later. But So there's that piece. And then you watch the way that language evolves and changes over time, it actually doesn't behave as if it's completely arbitrary. You know, we talked about when you brought up the no parking sign that if a sufficiently large social movement attempted to change the meaning of the sign that they might be able to do so, but that's actually not how I and I think most anthropologists observe to see language evolve and adapt. It actually follows a, a fairly uh, biologically reminiscent evolutionary life cycle and there's closed and open linguistic categories you know these things that we have decided on and don't change anymore and then these things that we're still adapting and evolving and improving so it's not in, it's not exactly obvious to me that simply because the sign has a given meaning that that meaning is completely derived from its from its cultural experience I think that there is actually something fundamental deep and biological about the sign I, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, so you're saying, I guess, one, I would agree, like, okay, it's not completely arbitrary depending on how you want to cut it, sure. I suppose. Like, I, I was more thinking about it kind of in a vacuum, right? Right. Or, okay. like, say if you had some, if you were, if we were all kids and we were playing in a parking lot and there was, you know, a no parking sign on the side... And we were, 
we don't drive cars, we don't know what that sign means, but we're playing a game of tag, and we just decided that that sign is base. Right, okay. You know, the meaning of that sign has suddenly changed, right. and there's no quality of the sign itself, independently of, uh, you know, who's experiencing it, that correlates to whether it means home base or do not park here. Right. Or So I, I don't know if that's just a misunderstanding um, or if that's something else. So, I'm not sure. So yeah. see, that would, that would, for me, that would shift the argument to whether or not there's objective truth behind the meaning of the sign to, uh, I, I don't know if we're talking about that anymore. I don't know if we're talking about the idea that there is multiple interpretations potentially infinite interpretations to an objective set of facts. So there, the children mm-hmm. are using the sign to mean base, right? But they're wrong. They're, they they oh. are provably wrong. Oh, they, they, I disagree. Okay, all right. I, I, okay, so to finish the point, I think they're interpreting the sign a different way, but the sign means no parking. And the truth is that it's an English language with an English language tradition, and that's why the sign was placed there, is to convey a specific message, and they are misunderstanding the intention and the truth behind the sign. All right, so disagree away. Um, Yeah, no, um, I I think that's pretty interesting. Well, because I guess, I mean, I think this highlights highlights the point of disagreement, because I would say certainly not that the children are... Well, like, in the context of the culture they live in, uh-huh. they're definitely wrong. I mean, if they were driving cars and they parked there, you know, <laughs> right. they, they right, wouldn't, right. you know, be allowed to do They'd that. They'd be wrong for a lot of reasons They'd if the children wrong. were driving cars. But only because that's what society has deemed that sign has meant. But in the context sure. of the game that they're playing, you know, if somebody came in and tried to join their game and didn't recognize the sign as home base, well, then that person would be wrong. Yeah, no, and you make a valid point. Uh, I think, and I'm happy to, to move on and disagree here, but I think, sure, yeah, I think yeah. that That's cool. um, part of the, at least in my opinion, the, the children's subjective misunderstanding of the intention doesn't convey truth to them. It doesn't convey that authority. And, yeah. and, and I totally understand where you're coming from, and it's a, it's a but you, point well made. But when you say uh, intention, is that like, <clears throat> the intention behind like the sign when it was created? Is that what you're referring to? Not only that intention, but the intention behind the history of the language, the intention behind the creation of those words. The words are deeper than, than their arrangement on the sign. And I think that the, the words are specific and they mean specific things and their, their creation is not arbitrary and not simply limited to a cultural experience. That's I mean, what I'm I, saying. I agree. Well, yeah. Agree, agree as tentatively as you'd like. I, I, sure, I understand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. Anyhow, I think we can leave that one up to the listeners. I mean, that's. A, I think that's a... It's a fundamentally different way to look at a, a set of facts. And um, I actually, I think that your position is really interesting because I actually, in my estimation, I'm using the, the uh, let's call it the microcosm, the cultural microcosm of the kids playing tag to say that they're wrong, and yeah. you're using the, the cultural microcosm of the children playing tag to explain why the subjectivity matters. And to that, you're not wrong. Like, you, you are correct that 
at least functionally for the children, the meaning does mean base, right? But how so, does that happen? Yeah. If the meaning behind the sign is objective. Right, and I would say because because the children are wrong, because the children either can't read or don't understand the concept of cars. I think I think anyone yeah. that points to a no parking sign and says that means base, they're they are potentially correct, but only for their own purposes, and that's part of a, a subjective set of ideals to begin with, in my opinion. So I have, I have a question for each of you, but okay. I want to know who wants the question first. So. James, you pick. Who gets it first? Um, I'll take it. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, given James said, it seems there's a biological, like, like here, like we know, like when a human can't see, that one's blind. When a human can't hear, that one's deaf. And there's like clearly like biological factors that go into like perceiving the universe in, let's just say for lack of a better word, the correct way, right? Like, sure, yeah, totally. If you were colorblind or yes. something, yeah. No offense to colorblind people. Totally offense to colorblind people. You're the worst. <laughs> How come you can't tell which one is green? That's it's ridiculous. That's the left and the right for you. No empathy here. Right, exactly. But my, my question is, given that, that, you know, it seems like we're kind of built in a specific way to observe the universe. Okay. How how can we how do you still like come to the point that it there's this uh subjective point of view that can be unique given we're looking we're we're basically built to see objects in the best light air quotes around best um i'm not sure if i understand the question uh so it's Sorry. like maybe it's like this like your eye is made to see certain patterns of light right and totally. your ear is made to hear certain hertzes and it's like it's made to give you the most accurate picture of the world as it possibly can, right? Like, I ideally. So. And you know, it, a hummingbird has a few edges on us. Yes. It's built for a human being's experience, I guess is sure. probably the best yeah. way to say it. Totally. That's a key differentiator. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes. Yeah, That's a good so. point. Yes. Only I, I'm the only human with eagle vision. <laughs> we should have stopped eating all those eggs. But but the point being is like given that it seems like our biology is built in such a way to give us like and maybe you answered it kind of with that point you just raised. Given sure. that our biology is construed in such a way to give us a view of the universe that I would say is a specific experience, right? A specific experience that is unique for humans. Why do you think that subjective experience uh, matters more than like this? good view or best view that our biology is kind of gearing us towards. Does that sort of make sense? Um, yeah, I think I get what you're saying. Okay. Uh, and if, if this doesn't sound like a like I'm answering the question, stop me at any time. Well, I may have done a bad job of asking it, James, but go Oh, ahead. no worries. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. <clears throat> well, okay, so I think the human experience is the most important one because it's, I guess it's my experience. It's the most useful one, anyway, to know about. That's right. a fact. Yeah. So, uh, I guess that's kind of why I frame it in that context. I think it's nice that you brought that up, though, because we know that ultraviolet light exists. Uh-huh. We can test it. We can study it. You know, if I was red-green colorblind, for example, uh, you know, you could still go into a lab and see that those wavelengths of light exist. Right. I don't think you could say the same about a, 
like a no parking sign or things that, you know, many people might generally consider to mm. be okay. subjective, right? So you couldn't, like, do any kind of test. Like, say uh, something was wrong with my brain and I couldn't differentiate symbols well, right? You know, sure, I'm not able to do that, but I could never do any test to find the meaning that I guess is supposedly intrinsically exists in the sign. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure if that's a disagreement on terms or if that's a disagreement on something a little bigger than that. Yeah, um, I hear but, what you're saying. Yeah. So maybe maybe the right way to think about that is like it's you. I think you may have said this before, and I think it's good clarification. It's sure, yeah. There's objective facts that we're kind of geared to observe, but there's a lot of things that we, maybe you could say even human beings create, that aren't necessarily governed by those same uh, natural laws. For, yeah, not, okay. yeah, like qualities that don't really exist in the object inherently, but um, mm. it are kind of qualities that we put onto the object through our experience, okay. which may be because of cultural reasons or some combination. I mean, I think it's in every case, it's some combination of our biological inclinations sure. and our um, cultural experiences. Okay. Uh, well, not every case, but, you know, based on that, what I said before. That makes a lot yes, of yeah. sense. Like, if, if you're right, then I certainly agree with, with your prescription there. Totally right. Okay, yeah. so then I'm gonna kick this one over to Christopher. Uh, so, Chris, given that every human being's uh, like DNA makeup is unique, how can you say that our uh, observation of the objective has any hope of not being like can actually get to anything that's fundamental? Because it's it seems to me it'd be it's, it, it could be potentially inarguable that there is an objective thing that we can agree to. We're just kind of all saying the same words. Well, right, Hunter, and I, uh, great question. I'm glad you bring it up. It is the hardest thing that we have to do. It is the biggest challenge that besets humanity. And, you know, one of the... Uh, and no one can get there on their own. Like, if I could say that I would... I could in my own mind, with my own limited faculties and with my own limited understanding, achieve the understanding of the fundamental truths as such, I'd be lying. And so would anybody else that claimed that they could do that. The, because, and it runs counter, it, it, it disproves itself, right? Like if you believe like I believe and you believe that there, there is a, a piece of the divine that rests within the individual and it's fundamental and objective, and uh, part of the goal that rises out of that is to discover what is true and, and to strive for it, then no one can get there on their own because then they would, be, they would be God. They would be the divine, not an incarnation of it, right? And so it disproves, it, disproves its, it disproves itself, if I could do it myself, but when we strive together, we can get closer. And the, I, the whole idea, you know, this is one thing that we come back to on the show a lot, is this difference between postmodernism and uh, this, this more fundamental type of mythological objectivism that is the postmodern idea is that there's a nearly infinite number of ways to interpret a finite set of data. True. That's true. What's wrong is that they all are equally valuable. 
that's I definitely false. agree with that. Yeah, yeah. which is good. Uh, that's one of the reasons that we have we can empower this conversation. That's false, and and it, we've proved it. We know things that don't work. You know the the horrors of the 20th century showed us that there are modes of being and ways of observing reality that are wrong, that are wrong, and the cost is blood. And so that would be my answer. Like yes, we're all imperfect, and that's because we're we are we have the divinity within us, but we are not the divine. Right. Good stuff. Okay. I guess if there um, was <clears throat> some kind of, you know, objective truth, or some kind of like objective truth that I guess is coming from Plato's world of forms or something like that, um, and we don't have the faculties to be able to, I guess. Uh, like, obtain it or... Yeah, empirically come to it, I guess. that it, It's hard to say that without using the word objective. Sure, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we get what you're trying to but say. you get yeah. kind of what I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, is, uh, how would we come to that knowledge? That That's a great question. So maybe maybe we've kind of laid our, our basis and we get into now, uh, kind of like we talked before, the more epistemological... Um, totally, definitely so, yeah. ...argument that is probably our fundamental disagreement here. And the, the you know, you asked me the, uh, in your last email, you were actually talking about sunsets, and you said, you know, who's, excuse me, you said who's to say that one sunset is more beautiful than another sunset, and um, if, if uh, let me lay out one point first before we get Oh, there. yeah, go for it. Um, yeah. Because I, we didn't talk about this, and it's, it was one of the main tenets of our conversation. I think it's going to be good to inform the next portion. So one thing that we were talking about, uh, in my defense of, of this objective standard of beauty, right, because we're kind of heading that direction, one thing totally that not. I said in my defense of there being an objective standard of beauty is that you notice when a beautiful person walks into a disaster of a room. You notice there's sure. a contrast there, and that's what I think beauty does. It provides that contrast, and it says, in a lot of ways, uh, JBP puts it this way specifically. He says, "You're not everything that you could be." When you see the beautiful thing walk into the room, it highlights everything else that's ugly, right? And it's not obvious to me why we do that. It's not obvious why that reaction occurs, and, and there's proof that it occurs. It's, it's an uneasiness that we've all felt. Like if you watch horror movies, the beautiful girl goes into the gore room right? And it makes you so uncomfortable. And it's because you suspect so many things about her that say that she's out of place. She's not, she's, she's disintegrated from the reality that she should be connected to. She's disintegrated from the ideals that she seems to purport, uh, with, even with something as simple as her form. For instance, if a beautiful girl walks into my uh, my, let's make it a third a third party. If a beautiful girl walks into a room and the room's dirty and we're at a party and it's my friend's house and she's you know immaculately dressed and she's she's uh, you know classically handsome for people that uh, don't like the word hot and you know she's she's <laughs> classically she's, handsome. She's well put together. The bone structure. She's like Beethoven's sixth. <laughs> she, the bone sure. structure. Um, sure. So anyhow, she walks in and you go. Oh my god, why didn't we do the dishes? And this is a visceral reaction. It's in music videos, it's in horror movies. It's a visceral reaction. Like, ah, why didn't we clean up? Why I didn't know she was coming. Why did we do that? It's not obvious to me. There's no there's no way to verify that she keeps a clean house. There's no way to verify that she has a beautiful soul or a beautiful personality to match her beautiful outward appearance. There's no <laughs> way to assume that anything about her is in is disjointed from the disjointed state of the room and yet 
we have that emotion. We have that reaction. Can I and, ask yeah, one question in. real quick? Um, are you suggesting that that idea doesn't fit within my framework? And um, that's why it has to be an objective quality? If, if it does, I don't necessarily see how. Because, and I'll put one bumper on it, and then I want to hear your, your take. Oh, totally. What yeah. I see is that they are in communication with a standard. They're in communication. They're both in communication with a standard beauty that transcends its material or ideological substrate. You know, whether it be actions or form or um, manner. They're all in conversation with the same thing, which is why our brains do this incredibly complex and not at all obvious job of analyzing them and comparing them. Because they are in communication with something that transcends the, the physical or, or actionable substrate. That's my point. Could it be that... <clears throat> um, sorry, I'm drilling you with questions, you know. Go for it. Let's do this, man. Yeah. Hell, hell yeah. Let's do it. Uh, could it be that instead of, you know, these things being in some, uh, uh, what was the word you used? Common standard. Common standard. Being, uh, we're, we're comparing them to some common, common standard, I guess. Could it be that we're kind of just comparing these things to other things that we've seen in our experience, and then based in our biology... You know, our biology, uh, as I laid out anyway, within my framework, it's has the ability to, you know, differentiate one thing as more beautiful than another, sure. right? Sure, And so our brains are looking at for these things, and this is subjective, and, you know, underneath my framework, obviously. But instead of comparing them to a standard that we've never experienced, we're just comparing them to the other things in the room or other uh, things that She's people... way prettier than my mom. Right, you know, and <laughs> sure. my mom's obviously prettier than your mom. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Kathy, don't listen to this uh, part. That's, that's an objective fact. <laughs> well, I think we have... I we think, won! I think we converted him. <laughs> way to go, Carl Pulling team. <laughs> Sorry, I, I derailed you there, but yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but it's like... So I think there may be some things that are innate and biological, and so, yes, of course, some things are definitely more beautiful than others. Right. Like a pile of mud, you know, generally speaking, most people not consider that beautiful. You know, a beautiful sunset, beautiful. Right. Right? Um, but I think there's also some more personal or cultural artifacts, I don't know, inside of our psychology that gives us preferences for different things within the framework that our biology has given us. Yeah. So uh, I guess my whole point to say is that if, if that is, if there's some contradiction in like that example with what I've laid out, I don't see what it is. Sure. So if you're yeah. asking me if it couldn't be that, you're asking me, could it not be the difference in biology? Because <laughs> my answer is, uh, no, it couldn't, James. And I just won the argument by fiat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's a super good point. And actually, this gets exactly to, I think, probably where this conversation terminates. And not in a negative way, in a really great way, actually. Because now we know where, what the score is, right? Um, the, The idea that you're purporting is that it can be something deep within our biology and I, I think I'm not mischaracterizing your argument when you would that you would say if that's the case then we haven't discovered it yet 
we haven't discovered those elements, what that means. Right? I think that, okay. We had the guy just wave at us. Yeah, that so was, could you just, did could you just, think he knew us? What was that? I have no idea. I don't know. If, I feel like, was I a jerk? Should I roll the window down? Should I interrupt? We already did interrupt the show, so I guess I should have now. At least okay. I would have helped someone. Could you say what you just said again, Chris? And audience, we need to start doing a visual, like, part of the show <laughs> so right. that you can see what's happening. We do. So. Um, okay, let me, let me try and lay it back out. Um, Hunter, do you know at all what in the hell I was trying to say? No, I, I totally forgot. That guy has freaked me out so bad. Um, something to the effect of... I'm going to have to edit this. I'm seriously so lost. Oh, it's all good. It okay, was something kind of along the lines of... Uh, um, you're talking about biology, like what I was saying. Oh, oh sure. Yes. Yeah. So basically that... What you're arguing is that it could be an artifact that's deep within our biology that we've yet to isolate and pinpoint, but that explains the phenomena I was laying out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, something along those lines. Or maybe it is something we have pinpointed. I don't know a lot about neuroscience. Sure. I'm not going to lie. Well... Um, But I, I guess the thing is, we do know that our biology exists. We know that our brains exist, and I, I would... Do we... Uh, yeah, well, we could go down that rabbit hole. Not, maybe, away. Not, maybe not for <laughs> you, Hunter. Uh, yeah. um, but but it's we know our well, like our our what's happening in our experience is directly correlated with what's happening with our brains. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can study that in neuroscience at least at some point. Yes. You know, as far as I can tell, there's. You know, if there's some other component, an objective component, I think you said it was a metaphysical component. That Yeah, that would be my point. So what I was saying basically yeah. is that you were looking for something that hasn't been... Uh, and I'm fairly up to date on my neuroscience. Um, sure, yeah. It hasn't been isolated yet within the biology of the brain or the chemistry I'm sure of the brain. it's a combination of a lot of sure. very complicated factors right. that would be difficult to isolate. It's a net we haven't untangled yet. And yeah. my argument would be that the the thing that makes, you know, sunsets beautiful objectively and some sets, sunsets more beautifully beautiful objectively than other sunsets is something that sits outside that is metaphysical and um, and divine. You know, I, and that... I'm exactly talking about God, just to put a fine point on it. You oh, okay. Know, well, I, I'm talking uh, because wait, you are, you said you are. I am. Yeah, you are. in a okay. lot of ways. Because yeah, okay. even going back to the story of the forms and the allegory of the cave, the objective form sun, that which gives truth. Um, given the oldest stories that human beings tell, and I don't necessarily mean a specific God in this instance. I'm not specifically talking about the Judeo-Christian God, although he's the one that. I find most compelling. Sure, yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is that thing, that which reveals truth, whatever the objective form of that is, is what we've long called God, even f- from the oldest stories that we tell. And so when we, when you see something that's beautiful and the reason that it's in concert with other forms of beauty that are not obviously interrelated, that to me is because there is one standard that reveals the truth about the objective reality of the universe as such. So, I guess there are a few directions I could 
for, respond to that. First of all, let me say I'm, I'm asking you to prove a negative, and I know that that's not useful for oh, no. conversation, but... Uh, or what are, what are you asking me? Well, I, I'm just saying that uh, the only argument there is prove that God doesn't exist, and I'm okay. saying prove that God does exist. I can do neither, and I'll try neither, so this is oh, a, sure. this is a I'm, I'm fundamentally totally held belief. Yeah. Actually, that's a good... I'm glad you brought that up. Sure. Uh, uh, before I go into that, I want to say... And this might be an unnecessarily rabbit trail, but hey, that's the whole point of the show. <laughs> Depending on how you uh, go about it, I guess you could say that, well, God is the experiencer. Wow. I actually have never thought about that before. Well, yeah, totally. And I, I mean, I was just kind of like thinking about, I've thought about this subject from all different angles at you know, and it was kind of like, well, I guess that's one way you could take it, and then you could say, and I, I need to also remind everybody that this is coming from an atheist, but I'm just hypothetically speaking, you could say, well, God is the experiencer, and, you know, the laws of nature still operate the way that I've laid them out, but God still exists outside of that. I mean, that's one hypothetical direction you could take with it, and that even though, you know, God would be the ultimate source of truth, it's still, by definition, subjective. Of course... Because every person is their own version of God, in a sense? No, no, just, because, God, just because God's an experiencer. Okay. Right. And, so and so his subjective experience would be, I guess, the ultimate one. Okay. okay. And that we were all... But that, I guess, is more of a... More in how you define it, I suppose. Yeah, because I, if you have the yeah. supreme subjective experience, what's to differentiate that from the objective experience? Okay, got it. I, yeah, I, I guess. I, I think as far as, like, when we're talking about things practically in the world, right. I, I would like to make that differentiation. Um, I think it's more useful to make that differentiation. Yeah, but, and, and I totally agree. I'm, I'm taking yeah. the conversation to a metaphysical place because, in my uh, that's opinion, that's the proper level of analysis. You know? Oh, yeah, th that's where it was bound to go. Okay. But but regardless of all that, um, yeah, you pointed out, oh, you're asking me to prove a negative. Uh, the, the, <laughs> I, I, I don't remember who first coined this term, but and you may disagree with this, but uh, it's generally, how's it go? Just that the burden of proof is on the person making the positive claim sure yeah and, and and so my counterpoint to that and maybe this is a good place to leave it today is that the idea that it's somewhere tangled deep with our biology i think is still an unproven fact and i would say that we both have claims that are kind of prima facie to our worldview that are not exactly proven and the difference is that yours could be proven in time but mine by definition can't be proven well you know i would say like if that can't be proven, I would just say I don't know. You know? Sure. It's oh, like, I, I, I can't I demonstrate yeah. that it comes from a metaphysical place, but if I can't demonstrate that it comes from my, I don't know, my biology and the way I laid it out, then I guess the answer is I don't know where that phenomenon comes from. I think that, I, I would say that that's the, uh, um, the take that makes the fewest assumptions. Yeah, well, and... Hey, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I, I don't know that there's a metaphysical reality that provides objective truth to ours, but I act as if it exists. You know? And that's maybe that's the difference. Okay, guys. I, 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 I just me personally, really enjoy listening to you guys talk, and I, I, I had such a good time hearing, like, the different thoughts and viewpoints, and I think, I think 
it stretched what I think. I think it's, you know, I think it did exactly what James said it did. Talking to people about stuff that's important like this and, you know, having those battles and fighting through it is like, it, it, it does a, a multiple of things. It makes you go back and rethink some stuff. I'm going to be thinking about this experience or piece because oh, yeah. I think that's really cool. Um, but Let's appreciate it. Yeah, and so I think the thing, I, I have two questions. Uh, again, and in fairness, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start with Chris, and then I'm gonna go to James. Uh, so, Christopher, uh, what what uh, what part of James' argument do you find the most compelling? De- uh, yeah, and uh, we're getting to the top of the hour, so yep. really quickly, the part, part that I found most compelling and something that I want to uh, look more into and think more about is the part about God still being a subjective experiencer. You know, I threw out my gut reaction to that, uh, that the supreme objective exp- or the supreme subjective experience would be an objective experience, but that's something I definitely... Uh, that's an idea I had in the spur of the moment, and I need to see how many pry bars I can fit under it. Okay, cool. And James, what is the most beautiful thing you've ever witnessed? Oh, well, that's... Damn, Hunter. <laughs> Not what I was expecting you to ask. I bet. <laughs> most beautiful thing I have ever experienced. Wow. You know, my reflection. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Carl Pooling. <laughs> and that's called clipping, if you know anything about DAWs and Sorry. audio equipment. Sorry. Hey, guys, James, thanks so much for being on the show. As far as I'm concerned, we have to have you back. This is one of the most enjoyable conversations that I've had in a while. And, uh, I much I, appreciate it. I definitely agree. I, I love that we found common ground and disagreement kind of at the same time there at the end. Uh, at least that's how I viewed the interaction. So I love that. Um, anyhow... Guys, if you've been listening, hopefully you enjoyed this, man. We brought up a lot of points, a lot of complex things. If you have any questions for us or James, we'll make sure to get your questions to him um, over to him if you send them to carlpulling at gmail.com. Of course, you can talk to James directly at James Nally on Twitter, right? That's Just, right. Uh, two L's, N-A-double-L-E-Y. Uh, I'm Chris X Carl. Uh, Hunters at Emotional Carl Twitter, Instagram. You can follow the show at Carl Pooling on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Facebook at Carl Pooling Podcast. Our website is carlpooling.com, and you can go there to get all of our links, interact with us, all of our uh, socials in one convenient spot. But that being said, Hunter. Hey guys, get out of the back seat. We're home. Uh-huh.